Hi, everybody. How you doing? Welcome back to the Flutie Flakes cast. I'm Doug Flutie. We are in the midpoint of the NFL season. All kinds of stuff going on there. Uh, really fun Sunday where five upsets happened in the one o'clock window. And it was like nobody knew what the heck was going to happen the rest of the weekend. It's like all bets are off. And, uh, you know, we get into the middle of the season now. All the teams we were worried about wondering why they weren't very good. And now you take a look at the Chiefs and Mahomes are sitting at five and four. The Pats are sitting at five and four. The Steelers, you know, we were all ready to get rid of Big Ben a few weeks back. And now the Steelers are sitting there at five and three. And anything is possible for those guys. Amazing how week in and week out, how difficult it is in the NFL to be consistent and win. Um, and the, the cream starts to rise to the top. Teams are starting to find out who they are and what they do well. Buffalo is struggling to score points. Josh Allen, we had him winning the league MVP, and now they can't score points. Um, it just – there's some things that are a common thread in those teams. The other guy I want to talk about will be Justin Fields and what he did and Colt McCoy and what he did this weekend. Uh, why don't we start there so I can finish with Mahomes a little bit. Number one, Colt McCoy playing for Arizona steps in. He goes 22 or 26, 249, a touchdown, win easily over San Francisco, and Arizona's sitting now at eight and one. It shows you what a veteran quarterback can do, what a guy that comes in, he's just efficient, he's not going to be a highlight reel guy. It's not, you're not going to see all the highlights on Sports Center, but uh, it's an efficient day and everything's under control. There's no panic when you have to have the backup step on the field. Flip side of that, it, you know, you're looking at Love stepping into the game for the Packers. Here's the guy who was a first-round draft choice that is going to replace uh, Aaron Rodgers someday. I talk about each year the, the new savior of how many franchises is going to be drafted. Um, again, he's been there for a while. He should know what's going on, and he should be on top of things by now and ready to play, and he obviously was not. Um, Justin Fields. Justin Fields showed some real promise this weekend. Justin, I think – what happened is he decided to just be himself and be an athlete. And what he does well is get on the perimeter, bootleg action stuff that there's not a lot of reading involved. So he's just reacting and, and being an athlete. When he drops back, he does his best by looking at number one. When it's not there, start to move and find somebody on the fly. And when I break the putt, go. When you see some daylight, take off, get eight yards, get six yards, keep yourself in down a distance. I don't think you win long-term doing that, but he made them very competitive. He made Chicago look like they had an opportunity, and they did have an opportunity to win that game. And he put together the drive. He put together a drive that could have or should have won the game for him, uh, went down the length of the field, and then only to have Ben Roethlisberger bring the ball back up the field and, and kick a field goal at the end of the game to win it. So there was a lot of promise there. It's, it's still a loss. There was still a – Fake or not a fake, but a fumbled punt, scoop and score that got him back in the game. But at least Justin Fields looked like he was relaxed, just sling. He can throw the football now. I mean, some of the throws he's making, when he sees a receiver clearly, when he was on the perimeter making a throw, he rolled one to his left. Uh, I believe it was the touchdown. Rolling to his left, flips his hips and just snaps off a throw about twenty-five yards and put it right there on the boundary for the touchdown. He can make some downfield throws. I mean, he's got a big arm, ridiculously athletic. So hopefully uh, he makes Chicago very competitive. He's still got a long way to go. I think, you know, third downs and reading things out and, and all that. But I think right now his 
he's he's best served just being an athlete and making those plays and trying to relax on the field. The other guy I wanted to talk about was was Patrick Mahomes. And what teams are starting to do to Mahomes is say, I want to see you put a 15-play drive together. We're going to sit back here and cover two. We're going to play zone. It's what happened to him in the Super Bowl. We're going to play zone, back off, and make you hit some check downs and be efficient with the ball. And he really doesn't want to. He wants to, when, he wants to look upfield, make a play. If it's not there, hang on to the ball until somebody gets open down the field and then turn it loose and, and make the throw. And uh, he's, he's forcing the ball in there. And I think it was like the lowest average yards per play in the NFL this weekend, around three yards. Um, it just doesn't look the same. And this is what happens in the NFL. What happens in the NFL is people get on to what you do well. Now, Mahomes is just a great athlete that can still overcome other things and has looked, I mean, he's a league MVP and a Super Bowl winner and everything else. And I'm not, but they're going to force him to win the games at the things that he does not do well. And right now that is being patient and efficient and just marching the ball down the field. The other aspect is when you get those cover twos and people are backing off, run the damn football, check to the run, get it into a run game. I mean, there's certain looks that when you're in a offensive meeting, and you're, you're talking through pass protections with your offensive line and you get these certain looks, you know, this blitz look, well, don't worry about blocking all these protections. We're going to check to this protection. This is the protection you're going to have to deal with this look against. You minimize some things. And then there's other looks where it's like, don't even worry about the protection. We're running the ball. We get that look. We've got to check their run. We're running the football every time we get that look. And right now, I think the Chiefs are pushing to throw the ball into obvious run looks and it just creates a situation where he's holding the football where guys aren't open up the field and maybe he needs to take off and run for five yards but more than that I think he needs to get to the run game a little more and you know you've got to do everything is cyclical in the NFL there was a time when everybody three yards in a cloud of dust hammer the ball in there well people got big people got strong they go eight man box the bear defense came into play and what do you do? You start spreading that stuff out and start throwing the ball against them. Now the defenses start to adjust. They get smaller, quicker, lighter. They put more DBs on the field. They got pass rush guys at defensive end instead of run stoppers. Uh, the answer there was multiple tight ends because that tight ends can come in now and be two back set or they can spread out and be a spread set. So you, you put people in a bind. So now the defenses are more geared towards stopping the RPO game, athletic guys uh, starting to, have more DBs on the field, whatever it is, the games become a passing game. There's going to be a turn. And I, you can see it starting to happen that there's going to be a turn back to a power run game for some teams. And the Titans have proven that they can win that way. Um, and that, uh, you know, they're not afraid to just hammer the football and play a low, lower scoring game. Uh, I'll look at the Patriots for a second and see that Mac Jones is still the best of all the, young quarterbacks and being efficient and getting them back to five and four. You know, there's a lot of people pushing panic buttons around the NFL the first four weeks of the season. And it's amazing how the Patriots have just got themselves back into a position where they could potentially uh, shoot, even win the division. But I, I still think Buffalo is the best team in the division, but Buffalo struggling offensively and they got to figure it out. Dak uh, getting on the field and not playing well. And Dallas getting drilled. I'll tell you what, down by 30 points with six minutes to go in a game. I think you pulled Dak Prescott off the field and get him, get him over there, rest him up. He's got that big calf strain. And 
I thought it was pretty obvious. I thought it was pretty obvious that he wasn't full speed. He wasn't a hundred percent. He couldn't push off the way he wanted. He moved around fine, but it looked like it was under control moving around rather than explosive. And he uh, tried to step up in the pocket and make a throw. And I thought it was pretty obvious to me anyway, that, that it wasn't quite ready is having a great season, a great year. Uh, the injuries slowed him down a little bit. They got what well, Cooper Rush got in there, played well for a week, and they wanted to get Dak back on the field. I just think you got to protect him a little there when the score got out of hand and let him be 100% before he gets back out on the field. And flipping back to the Steelers for a second, and Big Ben, uh, you know, I was talking about uh, Patrick Mahomes struggling with what is cover two and a rolled corner and a safety on his side of the field and not being able to get the ball at the field like he likes and, and having to be more patient, dump it off. In a situation where Pittsburgh had to go lane to the field, a veteran guy like Big Ben, he pumps the flat route, gets the corner to jump, it hits the corner route behind it for a 15-yard gain. That was in the middle of their two-minute drive and, and leading to kick the field goal. The other thing that wins it is Chris Boswell kicking the field goal. All right. So he goes down and kicks the game winner. But uh, Chris Boswell is pretending to be a real football player lately. And it's so hilarious to us. It's like he runs a fake field goal, rolls out, tries to throw the ball, gets blown up, gets a concussion, goes into concussion protocol, comes back this week. And then he gets involved in a kickoff where he recovers a fumble. And it wasn't the prettiest. I mean, he just the ball rolled to him. He kind of cradled it inside instead of. Like when you recover a fumble, you want to go in on your side and pull it to you and curl up and tuck it away because you're going to get lit up. He kind of like was sitting on his knees, let it come into his chest, held it, and then he gets blown up. Bonus out there for Chris. Uh, Great job taking the hit, coming back, kicking the game winner this week as well as recovering a fumble. All right, coming up, uh, our guest will be Brooks Raley. Uh, Brooks, pitcher for the Astros, a World Series-bound Astros team, has a tremendous journey through baseball to get back to this point. And it's going to be a lot of fun talking to him. I always have a lot of, a warm spot in my heart for the guys that had to bust their tail. He had to go over to the Korean baseball league to, to get it back and, and get back to the MLB. Um, I love guys that have to fight their tail off for their journey and what they go through. So really excited to talk to Brooks and remember you can get the Flutie flakes cast on Apple Pandora and Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts, make sure to rate and review. Well, I'm very excited to bring in Brooks Raley. Uh, Brooks is a guy that was a little bit of a journeyman, had to go prove yourself overseas in Korea. You have to fight your way back. You grew up in a family that played baseball. Your dad, your brother drafted and all that. Um, I always have a warm spot for the guy that isn't handed and anointed the guy. You know, that's always been me. You always have to fight for anything you get. And uh, really, congratulations on an unbelievable year a great year with the Astros, getting to the World Series, coming so close. You did beat my Red Sox. I'm still wearing my Red Sox hat. Yeah, you guys, I saw that. I was yeah. like, we're going to have a conversation about we're gonna, the we'll, we'll go here. at it. How, how did, first, we'll go there. How'd you guys throw the switch? Like, it looked bad early in that series. No, I definitely did. I mean, we couldn't get away from the Grand Slams there for a bit. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I think it's a testament to our team. Um, five, five straight postseason runs, ALCS or better. I mean, that's... I don't know the history in baseball. I'm sure the Yankees back in the day when they were really rolling in Boston earlier in the 2000s. But, I mean, the guys just never quit. We did it last year. We're down 3-0. I'll never forget the, the meeting we had after we lost to the Rays that third game. Played a bunch of tight ones, lost. And guys came in and said, hey, 
show up tomorrow, win tomorrow. You never know. You keep your, you know, you keep moving. And and we won three in a row. Forced the game seven. We ran out of gas there. We we uh, we didn't quite hit, but I mean, I mean, I think we ended up four three five four something like that. And we just couldn't get that big hit later in the game. But man, to, to do that last year with no fans, no nothing, and then this year to show up in Boston having to go beat a team that was on fire at the plate. Um, and I thought the turning point in that series was the bullpen getting in there and uh, really kind of eating those innings in the in game three. Um, we took an L of that game, but game four, um, we were able to kind of keep the guys that we needed to keep fresh, uh, got out there, did their thing, grade them through multiples. Um, Presley was fresh. And then, uh, you know, we, I think the, the turning point for, for our offense was getting Evaldi out there and uh, trying to score on him and ended up scoring seven in that inning when Castro kind of hit that single up the middle. And, you know, I felt like, wow, we just turned the series around right there. That feeling, like, I mean, I've been there and, and you're in a losing streak for football or, you know, struggling, can't even get a first down. Um, it, that's a, just a testament to you guys and, and the way you started hitting the ball and, and the pitching stepping up and just shutting it down. And um, it was so much fun to watch, uh, except for a Boston fan, of course. I'm right, sure. right. Well, honestly, really cool ballpark, man. That place is electric. I, I have, I, I would say that's my favorite road ballpark. That place is awesome to, Sweet Caroline, the, the fans ran to it every inning, the music. I mean, it's it's an electric atmosphere. So I'd say that that, that was a place I, I told my family, you have to go here. We get here, when we go play these guys, you got to go. See, so I'm the idiot. I, I was talking to you before we went on. I'm the idiot that shows up at the ballpark for the home team batting practice. You know, I can get in there early before all the fans. Right. I bring my my all my niece, nephews and nieces and go up on the green monster, and they're just running around collecting home run balls, which we later take, put in the bucket, so we have batting practice balls later. Right, right. But, yeah, that's me. I, I love that ballpark. I've been around. I've caught five foul balls in Fenway. And it's like, you know, that that's that's a second home to me. How surreal is it that you find yourself on the mound in the World Series, yet just a few years ago, your journeyman, did you think you were going to get back to the MLB? Did you, wh what was it like over in Korea? Yeah, I was kind of injured in 2014. I needed a bone spur removed. I had that done. And then I went and played winter ball. Um, and, you know, I got my opportunity to go play in Korea. And at the time, I think players have to make a choice, right? Early in your career, you want to be the, the superstar. You want to be the best player. You want to be an ace, high young winners, all these kind of things. And at that time, I think I was 25. Uh, I burned all my options, kind of did the up and down train a lot and never really got my footing with the organizations I was with. And so I kind of made a choice like, hey, this is a financial decision. This is a career choice. Um, I don't really know what's over there, but I'll, I'll go in and embrace it, man. I'll, I'll dive in. And, um, for five years, uh, my wife and I really enjoy exploring that country. We saw everything. I was looking at a book yesterday. She made a bunch of those like Shutterfly books, all the places we've been, the, the, the mountaintops, the, the temples, the uh, different stadiums, traveling by train. Um, we had our daughter uh, year three doing all that with her, finding all the, uh, you know, indoor play places and malls and the six story malls that you'd go in and do stuff and um, just getting fully embracing that culture. Uh, and baseball at the time was, uh, I got to kind of step back and really love it and enjoy it and bonded with my teammates there. At the time, I felt like I was improving as a baseball player. I think I finally proved to myself that I could throw 180 plus innings, make 30 starts. And, you know, what was considered at the time, the third league, you know, you got major league baseball, you got the MPB, the Japanese league, and then you got the KBO. And KBO always had a bad rap just because it wasn't as covered 
right? And, but I got over there and I was like, just like you talking earlier about your uh, guys you play against the 35 older league, these guys can hit. I was like, these guys swing hard. They got big leg kicks. These fences are short. These balls are hard. I'm giving up homers over here. I better figure this stuff out. So you just learn to deal with the, with the pressure of that media base. It's, it's very much like, what are you doing for me lately? And so I kind of learned that part of it that I never got in the big leagues. And so, I don't know, I, I, uh, year three, four, five, I had pretty good years. Uh, went to the postseason in 2017. Uh, that's a good story in itself, but I had thrown five and two thirds and was really, really going. And now some bum who they're actually posting this year, I'm sure he'll probably get a major league deal. Big power left-hander, big leg kick. Me and him would go back and forth all the time, but it was a 13 pitch at bat. I threw, a, I don't know, my, my eighth sinker in a row inside. I'm like, I'm going to saw this guy off. I'm getting in there. And uh, I broke his bat, but on the swing, his back kind of came at me. So I went to go cover first, not thinking anything. And then I seen this orange object come up and it stuck me right in the, you know, kind of lower calf bat stuck me in. Um, I wish I could give you a video of it, but anyways, I acquired <laughs> like two different it stick hospital in? trips. Like it was stuck oh, in or like, just yeah, I mean, It was like, it went in, I don't know, a little over three inches deep. So I did a barrel roll out there. I hop up and um, I'm like, I'm fine. I just thought I got the barrel, the bat off my shin. And, uh, then I look down and I'm like, that is a lot of blood. And I feel like my foot sloshing around in my shoe. And that was a whole, I mean, I don't get too far into it, but I had to run inside. I went to two different hospitals. The first one didn't do a deal with the wound channel that deep. And then the second hospital, we were able to do kind of a open air, whatever surgery. You're in Korea, you're playing in this other league. Now, you know, NFL, major league baseball, they got their x-ray machines. They got everything right there on site, you're going to be treated. You're not, not now, in the KBO. What, was the, what was the journey like? <laughs> what was that journey like? Cause I got one. Got stuck. I, I'm going downstairs. Um, good friend of mine, Jocelyn Bloom's right there. And I, I don't want to look, I don't know what it looks like, but I see a lot of blood. It's running off the table. It's running out of my shoe. Um, and uh, I'm like, I got to turn and kick my leg. I'm not going to lose my leg in Korea. So I take my belt off. My leg in Korea. No war? No, I was playing baseball. Exactly. <laughs> no, I was playing baseball over there with wood bats and round balls. And you know, I don't know what's going on. So I just knew it was a lot of blood. I never seen that much blood. And so I tourniqueted my leg and I'm like, let's go. Wherever we're going, let's go. So they, they rolled me out of the out of the facility. There's an ambulance waiting for me out front. And it was kind of surreal because everybody inside the stadium still going on. I can hear cheers oh, yeah. and whatnot. Next I'm, batter's I'm up. cruising. Yeah, I'm cruising off in an ambulance with my my translator and everyone else only speaking Korean. So every bit of information I was getting at that point was through my translator. He did a great job, but we stopped at the first hospital. It's like five minutes away. He kind of rolled in there. First doctor's eyes, you know, this big around. He looks at my, oh my God, I'm only looking at people's reactions, right? I'm trying to read people. I, I speak what I would say is Konglish, which is Korean English. So I can pick up a few words here and there. Got a pretty good idea of the context, the conversation. Um, and I'm looking at my translator and I'm like, what is going on? And he's like, it's not good. I was like, great. That's, you're not supposed to tell people that when they're laying on the table, but it's great. Um, but he's like, Hey, I, I, this doctor doesn't deal with wound channels this deep. So we're going to have to go back in the ambulance, go to the next hospital. I'm like, are you kidding me? And I'm still in full uniform. I got my, my Lotte Giants jersey on my, my game pants are still on. I just have pulled up by my knee and they rolled me straight back out of there. They put the, uh, what's the stuff to stop the bleeding, the little powder or whatever the, they poured Something all that in. So it kind of, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it kind of slowed down. So I was like, all right, well, hopefully we're not going to bleed out. So then we go to the next hospital. Hopefully we're and, not going to bleed out. There's, 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 right. there's, that was the, there's that a goal. That was the goal, right? You know, I'm <laughs> talking to a translator who is not a doctor. He's just freaking out. So we're right across town, ambulance, the whole deal. 
And then I get to the hospital, which we had done our medical stuff earlier in the year. So it was like where our low paid doctors were, our team doctors. And uh, I remember going in there and they're sprinting around. I'm treated like royalty right now. You know, like everybody's clearing out everyone to roll me through the middle of this place. And all these people are Lothay fans. I've met them before taking pictures with them and their eyes are like, Oh my God, he's at the hospital. He was just pitching. Now he's here. And then get on the elevator, go up like four stories. You'll see the main doctor who speaks a little bit English. He's like, Hey, we're going to have to have an operation. We want to cut another hole in the back of your leg to go seal up the wound and check for wood splinters, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, we're not cutting any more holes. You're going through this hole to fix whatever you need to do. And I was like, so if you have to patch it up or you just seal the outside, fine. I'll go back to the America and we'll do the rest of it. But I'm not, I'm not opening up another wound channel because I was like, I got to pitch. This is game two. If I could pitch in game five, we're going to try to make it run here. And so anyway, is it amazing how we think like they're, they're worried about losing a leg and you're worried about your next start. Right. I'm trying to get back out there. I was carving today. I got to get back out there. So no, it ended up going well, took another 30, 40 minutes. And they closed it up. I got stitches. I uh, came back to the ballpark that day. We won one, nothing. And then I, uh, the next two days I was, I played catch on the side, but I wore like the Cam Newton high tops. They had those like plastics. So I had to cover the wound with that and, I was like, I, I probably can't start today, but I'll start. If we can win this game, I'll start the next series. It's sets of five and we end up losing in that game. But now what a, what a trip. So I think a lot of those experiences to get back to what you originally asked, always thought I could play in the States again, thought I could improve. I thought my command got better. I recognized how hitter swings are leg kicks. A lot of that stuff was there before it was in America. A lot of big leg kicks, um, a lot of lift and swings, not a ton of ground balls. Nobody's trying to hit singles. Um, guys were willing to walk over hitting a single. So a lot of the OPS stuff that America is doing now that, in, you know, major league baseball's emphasizing walk over single. Cause I don't want you to get the ball on the ground, ground balls or double plays, double plays or, you know, pitcher's best friend, but so are K's. There's a lot of things that I learned there that kind of, when I knew I got back, I knew I had high spin rates. I knew I could miss bats. And then I was like, five hundred organization that kind of fast tracked me into lineups and, and the way they, guys swing patterns and, and their holes, I can pitch those. I got enough pitches to, to do that. So it's been a cool journey for sure. You're talking about things that were over there first and then came to MLB. And I think back to my Canadian football league days where we ran the spread offenses. And I've talked about this a bunch on my podcast, but we ran a lot of this stuff that is so innovative in the NFL. We were doing 20 years in the CFL and it, it, it's a lot easier for those kind of leagues or other to take more risks and take those chances and do the things that, you know, in the MLB, they're not going to teach that unless they know it's working. Like it, it, would, it wouldn't surprise me if the shifts happened in other leagues first, but um, yeah, well, the shift was late. Um, the home runs, the celebrations where I mean, I, I came over out of the minor leagues and, and playing a little bit of big league time back in the day and, I was like 13, 14, somebody stood in the box after hitting a home or you're getting drilled the next time. Where were they exactly. No way <laughs> you're going to do that to me. Well, my first year over there, first uh, spring training game, I gave up a homer to a Japanese player. My first batter of the game, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to mow these guys down. First pitch. Whack. He hits it out of the ballpark and he stands there. And I was like, what are you doing? Get running, you know, but they're like, Hey, Hey, he's not doing it. Like, it's just, how they play. I'm saying, oh, okay. It's just what they do. So then after that, I was like, it is what it is. But if I want to beat my chest coming off here, I'm going to do that too. You didn't have Crash What's Davis that? behind the plate telling him to run, don't show no, up his no, pitcher? No, 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 no. <laughs> and, and I had, I was fortunate. My, my catcher, I don't know, seven, eight year all-star and did a lot of really cool stuff. 
for me and him, I think I threw to him over a hundred games, all those there. So really got a cool bond with him and, you know, he knew all the hitters. And so we got to, got to really do some creative stuff. Like you said, you did in the CFL, I got to do it in KBO and um, I moved all over the mound, you know, like people, you know, I stood on the right side, I stood on the left side, I stood in the middle. I started doing it for left-handers only. I'd get as far as I could over there. I did my Chris Sale experiment. So I was like, I love the way this guy throws. He's the nastiest pitcher in baseball. And so I went all the way to the left side of the mound. He pitches from the right, but I started, you know, getting real crossfire, throwing across the body. And I started getting major swing and misses and big sweep and breaking balls. Like, this is fun. My elbow may not make it, but this is fun. So I got this really cool stuff and kind of come back and be, you know, when, when a major league coach, like you said, is, is telling you, hey, make this adjustment. I'm like, yeah, I've done that before. Maybe not to that extent, but I can do that. I love talking about the alternative leagues and the things that go on. And, and like you said, you know, experimenting with things, you have a, a chance to do. I, I We were talking before we went on about me playing in my old man baseball and I found a strikeout pitch. I, I pitched from the left edge of the of the mound right-handed thrower, two seamer down and in, down and in, down and in. And then I'd slide over to the right side of it, step to the third baseline and do the low sidewinder curveball. That was, became my strikeout pitch. Anyway, having fun. What was, and I talked to, to a bunch of the old time football guys. We, we start, I talk, I talk a lot about the CFL and I talk about this one locker room in Winnipeg where they have six shower heads, but only two work and it's only cold water. The locker room in Saskatchewan was a bench a two by four on the wall with nails and you hung your stuff. What were any experiences along those lines? What was your worst locker? Oh man. The, I think for me, the biggest adjustment in Korea was the, the pregame or postgame spreads we'd have. And I, and I like Korean food a lot, like all the Korean barbecue stuff I could eat a lot of rice, um, a lot of soups, but man, I'm, I can't run out there on a, on a, uh, on a bad boiler. And I feel bad, you know, like, Oh God, my stomach's turning over. I'm already nervous about pitching. And then you're getting out here and you haven't eaten some, you know, really spicy soup. We had like these things called like squid balls, um, fish cakes that were on a stick. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it looks like a wet cardboard that slid onto a stick. I mean, our guys loved them. I was like, I don't want anything to do with that. But I mean, a lot of traditional green meals, um, some were great. A lot of like, um, a lot of stuff was fried, a lot of rice, uh, which I could do. I could, I, but I brought a lot of protein bars. I brought a lot of stuff to, to or bananas or whatever, oranges, whatever they had. And my favorite thing, um, was, uh, our, our mid game snacks. Right. So we had a couple of different specialties and I joked with the Astro guys all the time. I always had an Astros challenge. Nobody ever picked me up on it, but I said, anybody, that wants to have milk and eggs before they go out here, I will pay a hundred dollars an egg. And you, all you can drink is milk though, the rest of the day until we get home, like on a road trip. And nobody ever took me up on it. They're like, why you, where'd you come up with this? I was like, this is what my teammates did in Korea. Like we'd have um, mid game snacks, guys come to the clubhouse and, and snack or whatever. I was a starting pitcher. So I'd kind of come and go and um, do some stuff if I needed to in the weight room or, or in the training room. But we had a big table, that had usually like some Korean version of like a sweet snack, hard boiled eggs, a little, like a little cup that had the top cut off of it and like sea salt, like really coarse sea salt and then grape juice, orange juice, and like 2% milk all like kind of stacked together. And the amount of teammates that would come in there, crack eggs, dip in the salt and, and throw two or three of them down, take a shot of milk and then go back out there. And this is, you know, it's 95 degrees. Korea is extremely humid. And these guys are running around on that. And I always wondered, like, no wonder that guy didn't die the next day. He was about to lose his lunch out there. 
They didn't but, see uh, Anchorman. Milk was a bad yeah. choice. Yeah, milk was a bad choice. Bad I, choice. I, I, it was the most amazing thing. So you guys were running out there and go do that. And I'm like, wow. I don't know how you keep that down. So really, really cool. Like just experiences. And I tell guys all the time, like you have to go see it. If you're, if you're a ball player and you love to play, like at some point in your career, like I was trying to convince Greeky, he needs to go to Japan. He wants to hit, you know, I think the universal DH is coming. I was like, Zach, if you go to, if you go over there, you are going to love it. They're going to love you because you got unbelievable, you know, you're a hall of famer, but you don't have to do media if you don't want to, you don't have to do, you can go play golf on your off days. You come in, you work out in the morning. All you do is show up on your start day. And I was like, you'll be a legend there. He's like, really? You think so? I was like, yes, yes, you need to go. I love the CFL from a standpoint that I could, it was originally set up as a part-time job. So the guys would work their job and the football was at night. And then by collective bargaining agreement, they could only keep it four and a half hours a day. So when it became the full-time job, it was basically it's one o'clock to five 30. So the guys come in whenever. So the young kids are out partying all night, sleep in and don't have to be in the facility till afternoon and, and work out. And I just, I don't know. I had a blast playing in that league. Uh, you're talking about food and stuff. We had, you get your per diem. And around that time that I was up there, it, you're, you're only on the road in football for a day and a half. So they give you about a hundred bucks, 120 bucks, whatever it is. Well, let's say, let's say it was 120. Well, there's one, one GM, in Winnipeg would give the players 50 bucks and $70 in coupons to restaurants. And that was their per diem. You know, that's, you know, right. so it's just a different world. It's not oh, the pampered, yeah. the pampered big no, leagues. No. And, and no, I no, loved no. it. I mean, you, I, one of the things I was just looking through the bio is that you grew up in a baseball family and, and what was it like as a kid? see as a kid to me, I never had that exposure to, to a major, were you in clubhouses as a kid? Were you around the field? <laughs> Uh, no, my dad, he played, uh, he played at St. Mary's there in San Antonio. Um, he played for team USA out of uh, college. So he got a little taste of played against Japan in the, in the, uh, collegiate league and, and got through some really good stuff Hit a Homer. Uh, my dad was a super athlete. He, uh, he was a switch hitter. He could throw with both arms. He hurt himself in his sophomore year in high school, he hurt his right arm. And so he played quarterback for the high school team. And so he switched and played left. So he was all state and through 95 across the infield, did a lot of, a lot of special things on a baseball field. So he chose baseball. Um, but I think that was a, a period of time. I mean, he grew up uh, milking cows and, and, and collecting eggs in the morning. Like his, his parents, my grandparents were amazing people. My, my grandfather worked on a caboose of a train. So he was running all over San Antonio and world war II veteran. And so my family was very much, you know, baseball is in a top priority or his, his family wasn't. So he went and played a couple of years with the Toronto Blue Jays organization. I think they told me he was going to go back to high A after hitting about 290 switch hitter, doing all these kinds of stuff. They said he's going to go back. And the way he tells the story is, you know, he, he didn't have that push from his family to kind of stick it out and, and finish what he had started because he was going to make it, but he was kind of frustrated by the system and the way baseball works. And so he, he hung them up, but I think he learned a lesson there. And I think he taught all of my brothers and I just go, go for it and, and then stick with it. So my older brother played at Oklahoma, a uh, middle infielder for Russell, who's now a coach at UTRGV down in South Texas. Great coach. Uh, most fundamentally sound shortstop second base that I ever saw growing up. I would always play first base. My dad hit ground balls till he was blue in the face. And, um, and then my youngest brother, Corey, played at uh, Texas Tech and he was a shortstop. So I was the only lefty in the group my dad could only teach me so much pitching. So I knew that when I got to college, you know, my dad was like, you know, he taught me how to compete and be aggressive and get after guys. And, but mechanically it was like, if 
fire that ball, you know, just get up there and let it rip. So I was a lefty of the group and, and everybody else is infielders. And so just, just love growing up doing baseball every weekend. And, you know, we had plenty of, uh, wow. plenty of good stories amongst the brothers for sure. Well, lefty, you're either on the mound or you're over there at first base. And I'm hitting ground balls, so get your ass over at first base. Okay? Yeah, go stand over there. Right. Go over stand. Right. I had two brothers. My my younger brother was a major league prospect, but he he also was drafted in the NFL. Or I, he was signed as a free agent. He played three years with San Diego and then came to CFL and played. But he was a heck of a baseball player. My older brother was a Division One third baseman. So when we do these old man tur- tournaments I'm talking about, my younger brother's at short, I'm at second, my older brother's at third, and we just have a blast. You know, it's us against the world. Of course, the pitchers, as we get to the older level, the pitchers throwing 55, 60 miles an hour. We play at the younger levels, so they're still bringing it at 80. But it, it's it's so much fun for me to hear you know, the, the brother stories because that's that's who I am and to to fight it out to go as long as you did and uh, to get back to where you are that it's phenomenal I, I take a lot of I don't know I, I love that story of and you say your dad you know was probably going to get there eventually but had sort right. of pulled the plug on it and that you stick it out uh, congratulations on everything that you've accomplished especially this year and uh, are you a free agent I am a free agent, agent. Where are we going? Where are we going? Are we I don't know. I don't know. Oh, well, come on up. I'll show you around. I'll show you all the ins and outs behind the wall of Fenway and where to sit to catch a right, foul right. ball. No, when you're not I actually pitching. do have a question for you. I do have a question right. for you. So the lobster rolls, all right, is it, yes. is it frowned upon to go with the, like the, the hot one, the, the buttered bread or the toasted bread and the hot Absolutely. sandwich? All right. Absolutely. The, the and it, it, you know what? You need about four of them just before you go on the mound so that your stomach feels like it doesn't creep. Oh, man. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah. Those, the, those things the, are amazing. The clam chowder and the lobster rolls. It's unbelievable. Big chowder pan. It's chilly beginning of the year. That's the other thing, though. You know, beginning of the year, Boston, New York, you, know, you, you wind up going up to the cold weather. Baseball is not meant to be played unless it's over 70. No, it's a, it, it, it definitely changes every probably 10 degrees. It goes down. You're like, wow, it's, it's cold to get out here and sitting down between innings. You're like, goodness, somebody else get going down there. Let's get somebody else in. Well, thanks so much for taking the time and, and joining me. A lot of fun. And uh, I'll be rooting for you. I got a, you got a new fan now. I won't wear the Boston hat anymore. And uh, unless you're coming up, you know what? I'll make some calls to Boston. See what we can no. do. Get you up there. <laughs> anyway, appreciate it, Brooks. Thanks for all your time. All right. Thanks, Doug. Thanks for having me. I want to thank Brooks Raley for joining me. A lot of fun talking to Brooks and and, uh, World Series and everything. Congratulations on an amazing year and an amazing journey. Uh, for me this past weekend, uh, college football kind of took a little spotlight for me because I, I got back up to Boston College and they played Virginia Tech on Friday night, kind of high profile game for them. But we had a reunion for my former coach, my coach, my college coach, Jack Bicknell. We were celebrating his 40th anniversary of joining BC and we had a bunch of guys get back. I mean, there were like 40 of us. It was a great night. All the players, all the stories, and and just a, really warmed all our hearts to see Coach Bick again. And, and I told him, and I, I really firmly believe this, he made my entire life, what I have accomplished or what I have done in my life, possible. I never would have had the success I had in college if I did not have him as my head coach. And I firmly believe that. Uh, I had Tom Coughlin as an offensive coordinator, and and Tom taught me my X's and O's, made me the most disciplined I've ever been in my life. But on game day, I had Jack Bicknell. 
and he'd wrap his arm around me. He gave me the confidence to go out and just let it fly. And if I made mistakes, not to worry about them. And, you know, he wasn't one of these guys that had me looking over my shoulder, afraid to make a mistake. And I, it was just a perfect storm for me. And I was just so thankful and grateful to have him as my head coach. And it was so much fun to get back with all the guys and, and just, you know, old stories, telling the stories of the bowl trips and everything else. So uh, really, really a fun week from that standpoint. And then Boston College steps on the field and plays their best football against Virginia Tech after losing four straight. They started out 4-0, lost four in a row. And Phil Jakovic came back from injury at quarterback. He's a transfer from Notre Dame that has done a, a lot of great things for Boston College. But he had a broken wrist and he had like 50% grip on the ball, grip strength. And could really not throw the football, but he's such a gritty kid and so tough. And the guys rally around them that they went and played their best football. He did throw one, one corner route that was absolutely amazing. Ball must have traveled 55, 60 yards in the air. And there's a difference. Like you can throw a corner route where the defensive backs on the inside shoulder, the guy leans into him and runs his corner out. You put the ball to the outside. It's kind of an easy throw. This, the corner was on the outside shoulder of the receiver. So when the receiver runs his corner route, he's got to go at a high angle and the safety comes into the picture. So now you've got to throw it up over the top, straight over his head at a high angle, still running him away from the safety, but the corners on the outside, he laid that thing 55 yards in the air, perfectly over the top. And Zay Flowers went and made a great over the straight over the head catch. And uh, that was a big time throw. That's about as I really don't think an NFL quarterback, anyone out there could put it in a better spot or a perfect throw like that. That just amazed me. But anyway, more than anything, it was his gritty performance and a fun win, fun weekend for me at Boston College. I did sneak in my sneak in my pickup hoops over at the Plex, but uh just had a blast getting back on campus and, and watching Boston College football again. One other thing on college football, I had a chance to jump on uh, with Desmond Howard at a Heisman podcast yesterday, and we start talking. And we're talking about the Heisman and who the front runners are. And I, I, I start shaking my head because Bryce Young at Alabama, um, Kenneth Walker at Michigan State having a real good year, a couple of guys, right? So anyway, it's become who's going to win the national championship, who's going to be in the picture, and Alabama's quarterback is what it winds up being. And we're like, shouldn't the Heisman Trophy winner just jump off the screen at you? Like Desmond started lobbying. Some years, maybe we shouldn't give it out. He's like, maybe we don't give out a Heisman this year because no one, no one's deserving. No one's like put separated themselves from the pack. I'm like, Des, you got to at least give it out. It's the best player in college football for that year. He said, yeah, but you got to have a guy that, that just wows you and nobody's doing that. There's, you know, there's a bunch of good players and there's guys that are going to be NFL caliber and going to be playing and somebody's going to be a number one draft and somebody's going to win a national champion. So do you just automatically anoint him the Heisman winner that he's the quarterback of a national championship team? And he, he made a lot of good points. Now, now, and I, my response to Des was, look, you got to give out a Heisman, but I agree with you. Usually you flip on a TV and you can't turn it off. When you're watching Bo Jackson, when you were watching Herschel Walker, when you were watching certain players, you stayed on that game. You know, you weren't flipping stations. You were watching that guy because it, it was dynamic and, and he caught your attention. And so there's a lot of good points to be made. And I'm not belittling any of the talent level out there. Guys are great ball players. It's just this year, there's no one guy separating himself from the pack. So a lot of fun recapping the NFL again, talking a little college football and talking with Brooks Raley. Uh, it's, it's so fun to see the journey and to, I, I just root for those guys. That's what I do. I root for the guys that have to fight their tail off. I, I even put 
Drew Brees in that category because Drew had his injuries. San Diego gave up on him. He goes to New Orleans, has to reprove himself, all that. So the guys that have – I hate when guys are just anointed the guy and handed the pro – here you go. Here are the keys to the car. Go. It's yours. You're going to be a superstar. I love guys that have to battle their tail off and, and then make it happen and have their moments. And remember, you can get the Flutie Flakes cast on Apple, Pandora, and Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast and make sure to rate and review. The Flutie Flakes cast is a part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Tom Cress. The associate producers are Chris Tyler and Denny Gallagher. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. Thanks for listening to the Flutie Flakes cast and join us again next week. SiriusXM Podcasts.